I'm happy you're here because I usually have. So first of all, it's very common for me to have a Columbia person here. So I've, heard. I've had almost all the <laughs> Columbia people here, but it's not common for me to have someone here that doesn't work specifically with notation. Mm, I didn't you know, send you a single score. Not a I? single score. Yeah, even though I asked, and then I remember, you know what? She, Danny probably doesn't want to, <laughs> me to have the scores. <laughs> you open the score and be like, "Wait, what? Danny, this isn't gonna help." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Keep a different version. <laughs> so I want to actually start with. Of showing an excerpt from one of those pieces. This is going to be something that you did on the Surge modular system. Let's hear a couple minutes of that. Visually, you start pulling chords like crazy, you know, in that section. That was a real, that was a real learning process. Like yeah. learning how to use the chords or the patch cables in some kind of way. Like, cause you know, I usually have like a rack that you put them on and you're like, okay, I'll take this one. I'll go like this. But like during a live performance, you can't take your little rack that's drilled into the wall. Like you gotta figure out a way to like grab and go. So the best thing I found is like you wrap around your neck and then you're like, okay, I need a long one. And you like reach for it and rip it out. And you're like, okay, that's the one. Yeah. And then shit's flying off of you. And then you make a big mess, but it's like, that's the beauty of modular synthesis. Like it's a big mess. So, for, so let's, let's back up a little bit, you know, cause I also need a little education in this. When you have something like this right in front of you, like what is, what what are you trying to do, first of all? Like, back up to the beginning. You have this machine in front of you, right? Mm -hmm. You got all of these cords on mm -hmm. your neck. What are you actually doing in front of that machine? Like, what's happening to make all those sounds? That's the question, right? Like, it's a, it's a blank canvas. I mean, it depends on the context. Like, am I teaching? Am I performing? Am I 
exploring? Am I like trying to learn something? It's, uh, it's your canvas, you know, like it's, it's your big metal box with holes in it. <laughs> and you're like, okay, where do I start? But like, let's say like the excerpt that we just saw, you're, it looks like you're improvising, right? It was, this is a two minute excerpt from a half hour yeah. set basically. Yeah. So in the very beginning of the excerpt, you state that, you know, you're, you're looking to start from basically nothing, right? Yeah. And then it, there's, you have this whole blurb about, you know, having patience and letting it kind of grow on its own. To me, it sounds like, you know, from my kind of layman electronic music ears, it sounds like you're like exploring through improvisation from the very beginning to the end. Is that right? Or did you have kind of a plan of what you were going to do? I like that you said that because I wanted it to feel like kind of fresh, but also have some kind of like narrative to it. So the piece was like, I mean, with modular synthesizers, you, especially like something like the Serge synthesizer, it was the 50th anniversary of it. And uh, I was using my machine and the Columbia's machine. And like, they're both analog gear. Uh, the Columbia machine's probably built in the eighties. And so it's, uh, you know, they're these fragile systems. And the idea of like analog and modular is like, you're never gonna get the same sound twice, right? You like, take your cable, you plug something in, and then you go to the bathroom and someone comes into the room. They're like, oh my God, look, a synthesizer. What's this? Oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, I don't know. You like leave the door open for too long or like you go get snacks. People are just going to go and start screwing around with uh, yeah, whatever you're doing. Yeah, that's yeah, common. That's what I do. If it's I like see a prank. <laughs> well, that's what you do. Okay. That's what I do. I, if I see someone working on their patch, I'm like, mm, let me change this up a little mm, bit. <laughs> let me screw around with this. <laughs> right? Uh, but be, it's like, because they're so inviting, you know, it's like, oh, what does this do? But uh, with that mentality of like, you come back and it's gone, it's like always kind of this study in ephemerality. You know, you make something and you go in it, into it with this mentality that you're never going to be able to reproduce the sound again. And what you are doing in that moment is very much live composing and then letting go and continuing on. What was the question? Well, that was basically the question. <laughs> I mean, like, what what are you kind of thinking about when you're starting? Oh, when you're oh, starting, is it because mm -hmm. I, to me, it's it feel. I mean, this is always a question, right? Like, does something feel improvised? Is it not improvised? Is it does it even matter if it's improvised, right? Sure. But sure. to me, you know, and part of it was reading a little blurb about the piece, about having it it coming out of a place of patience, right? To me, it feels like when you're starting it, like you literally were starting from basically a sine wave, right? Or, starting from scratch. Yeah, or even before that. plugged in. Right, oh, nothing plugged in, so even before a sine wave, right? Yeah. But then all of a sudden, I don't really get like a semblance of anything to hold on to until the, the excerpt I played, which is like nine minutes in. Sure. The whole thing is like half an hour. Sure. So I thought that was very interesting because mm -hmm. you're like literally starting, like forget this idea of rhythm, yeah. forget even pitch, forget even sound. Yeah. You're starting way before all that stuff was in the air and i think uh, to me that's interesting because when you have like a jazz improvisation or something like you you have an expectation of what you're going to hear mm -hmm. when you got that jazz combo in front mm -hmm. of you mm -hmm. when you got this machine with all these chords around you yeah. even me someone with a degree in music yeah i don't i don't really 100 percent know what i'm going to see sure when you're when you're playing that thing yeah even and I can't even that imagine thing. <laughs> in person, you know, what sure, it would have sure. been like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's my instrument. So if you put me in front of that's a cello, that's the thing. It's I'm your instrument, like, <laughs> right? Right. That's the other is. thing. It's your instrument. Yeah. Right. It's what you're used to playing. Yeah. And uh, it's also very different than what most people do. Like I can't, uh, I can't. I for the life of me, you put me in front of that thing. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> right. Right. So I guess the piece was. Uh, 
it came from a point of improvisation because it has to. There was a lot of work of being like, okay, this section comes first, this section comes next. And I had kind of a rough progression about like what I was going to do, but then the spots in between or like, you know, what actually collected in those spaces. It's kind of like an ebb and flow or it's kind of like, you know, I'd like, uh, in a perfect world, I'd like it to do this, but it's not always going to do that. And so it's then you're playing with the machine as you're continuing this composition. And when you're like putting the chord, the let's, I mean, like a ba very basic, you know, when you're putting the chords in, right, and you put one hole in here and one hole over here, do you know ex exactly what's going to happen when you when you do that? Or is it also like a dis discovery for you? Because to me, I'm like, I don't, I, I can't even imagine like how, it's like almost like somebody that doesn't know necessarily, doesn't have perfect pitch, I don't know, let's say, and you're playing on the keyboard, mm -hmm. you're just kind of feeling your way around. You don't know exactly sure, sure. what would happen if I hit this key and then this key. Mm -hmm. I have an idea it's going to be a big leap, but yeah. I don't know, I can't hear in my head, oh, from C to B, it sounds like this. Yeah. Is, is it similar with you, or you know what's <laughs> going to happen when you put that thing at, in the next one? <laughs> at some point, uh, at some point you don't know, because okay. uh, modular synthesis is not always linear. So it's not always A goes to B goes to C, like here, like, uh, of course, yeah, when I like, I have my patch cable plugged in and I'm, I plug it into a triangle wave and I bring that triangle wave into the mixer. Like, I know that's gonna make a triangle wave. I can kind of see where that dial is. So I know where the frequency roughly is going to be. But once the beauty of modular synthesis is once you have that connection created, you can have another connection that goes to that original spot and acts as some form of modulation. So what you can do is, so here I have my triangle wave, we're listening to triangle wave, it's like, oh, it's really nice. And then we can plug another waveform into the triangle wave that'll make it go woo, woo, woo. And so that's still linear, right? I have, you know, this wave that is modulating my triangle wave that we're listening to, but then think when things get tricky is, okay, we have this waveform modulating my triangle wave that's going to the mixer, but then what if I take that triangle wave that we're listening to and plug it back into the source of modulation? So before we had this kind of sequence of something that's dictating the rhythm of the pitch, like the rhythm of the modulation, and we have our baseline pitch. But now once we plug it back into itself is we have kind of this closed circuit of our triangle wave is then controlling the speed of the modulation wave that is then in turn modulating the triangle wave. So it's kind of like this giant cycle of, oh, I wonder what this is going to do. And so that's only using like, you know, two oscillators, but here I have this giant machine where, if, you know, A goes to B goes to C, C goes to G, G's plugged back into D, D then is then routed to A, and you have this whole big mess of signals routing to and from each other. And so there's no way to like reproduce it perfectly even if you put all the cables in the way that you did the first time is there a way to reproduce like let's say you find something you really like yeah you doing what record. you described you can just hit record you can hit record right. yeah but it's also like since it's analog that you know the humidity shifts in the room and the circuits bend a little bit and your pitch changes or uh, the room gets warmer and then the circuits get warm and then your you know something changes again so you know, to get the exact same thing, like, yeah, of course it's possible. 
but there's so many factors that are really kind of pushing against like that same. Well, and like all those things you just like described right now, which was great. That's exactly what I wanted to get out of you actually. <laughs> what like, do you I do? I want to know like, what are the sounds that you're actually manipulating and that yeah. you described that beautifully. I mean, when you're actually in doing the performance, because there's a lot of things you're doing at one, then of course you have an audience watching, which is different. Like yeah. most people that they're working with modular synthesis, I feel like they're doing it in Ableton or they're doing sure, it in Logic. Sure. They're doing it on their DAW mm -hmm. at home mm -hmm. where you're not, you know, you don't have that pressure of a live performance, mm -hmm. but you are, you know, you specialize in doing more of that kind of thing. Of course, you can do the DAW stuff too, sure, but like, sure. you know, that your interest is more in the performing aspect, yeah. performative aspect. I mean, do you, when you are out there, are you thinking about all these things when, um, when you're plugging away or is it like after the fact, oh, that actually was a great sound or maybe it's both. I, don't I, know. I blacked out. I don't yeah. remember. Really? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I had, I had done it so many times, but yeah. it, it takes full concentration. And in that way, it's almost like a meditation, right? Uh, but moving along that a little bit further, it's never my like mastery over the machine. It's a collaboration working with the synthesizer. And so you know, it, it's never like, oh, I'm trying to get that one pitch again. It's always like, oh, that's new, huh? And in the context of a live performance, you work with that and then see how you can kind of guide that into um, a space that you think is like sonically interesting. Or something. So you don't want it's it's okay if you don't hear the same thing, you know, twice in a row. Like it's yeah. okay. It's not Why like would that. I want to hear the same thing. Yeah, twice. that's a, I mean it's a different mentality <laughs> than like your standard, you know, conservatory trained sure, pianist sure. or something mm -hmm. where, you know, if they're if they're playing that Chopin etude and they're for whatever reason they're off that day and it sounds different, they're going to mm -hmm. they're going to beat themselves up over it. But for yeah. you, no, it's just a different sound. That's that's just how yeah, it is that day for you. It's the beauty of the machine. Yeah. No, it's amazing. I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for it because there are times when I'm sitting there, I say, okay, I want an electronic sound. Then I just give up and I say, you know, I'm just going to go with one of the factory presets and yeah. forget this. Oh, why, am I trying to, why am I trying to create something out of nothing when there's all yeah. these other sounds? And I don't know if you do the same thing. If you, if, if you ever say, you know what, like, I don't want to deal with creating my own sound today. I'm going to go with the factory. Pre Does that ever happen to you? No, that's boring. Yeah, see, that's well, what I thought like, you were going to say. It's, <laughs> it's what I do, right? right, right, like right. It's, that's the whole point. Like if you said, all right, Danny, you're going to write an orchestra piece. I'd be like, no, I'm not. <laughs> um, but like creating my own sound, like that's, that's fascinating. It's, it's exploring, yeah. right? Like I was never good at like, uh, you know, I had piano lessons and guitar lessons as a kid, but I never got good at like, you know, playing it all the way through a piece. I'd get like, you know, kind of a, a page in and be like, yeah, it's fine. And like with guitars, like I never was really great at like songwriting, but I liked to find this one little area and then just kind of like dabble in it. And so I feel like a lot of synthesis comes out of just like kind of dabbling and tweaking things and uh, finding the little beauties that come out um, spontaneously or, uh, you know, you're working really hard to make a sound and something else comes out or, you know, something interesting comes out. I, mean, I think it's interesting. You pointed out, you would never write for orchestra, which, uh, I remember when you're right, I'm going to play this next big, this next piece of uh, mm -hmm. Magnolias in bloom, mm -hmm. which is basically for a mini orchestra. It's got like, I think, I think six sure. or seven players mm -hmm. or so. Let's hear a couple minutes of that. You'll see what I mean.
I don't even remember the piece. Really? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Come on. That's no, a great piece. I love, no, I love this piece because I remember we were on the same show. I had a piece on the show. I don't remember what order it was, but I remember, obviously I heard your piece and thinking you were having so much difficulty. I remember conceptualizing what you mm -hmm. wanted to do, right? Because mm -hmm. you were telling me, oh, you know, I don't know what to do with these players. I'm used to, you know, writing my own thing or, you know, yeah. conceiving a piece the way we just heard it. Yeah. You know, a few minutes ago with your surge modular piece. Right, right. Now you have all these live musicians that are used to reading notation. Yeah. How are you going to transfer your language to those guys? So I thought it was going to be an interesting challenge for you. You know, for me, it's like I'm used to it. It's, it wasn't like it wasn't like a big leap for me mm -hmm. to have a piece on that show. Mm -hmm. But for you, I knew it was, and it was really amazing to hear what you ended up with. It's completely different, right? It's, it has, you're dealing with acoustic instruments, but you still were able to get that electronic feel to it, but in a very different way. Did I? I think so. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, and I, I wanna know, because we never talked about this. I mean, yeah. the piece just kinda happened, and then we all kinda went our separate ways. So I wanna know, how, how the heck did you even conceive of, of this piece from the beginning? Because it's really just different think, yeah. than what you usually do. I, you know, I think that was my first purely acoustic piece. No, the ceramics were mic'd. Does that count as acoustic? I think, yeah. I mean, compared to your other stuff, this is like, you know, this is like, like Monteverdi, you know? <laughs> Yeah, that piece was, it was really challenging. Um, it was challenging for a number of ways. It was like, <laughs> what do I do with this ensemble? <laughs> Man, I thought the bassoon was fascinating. Yeah? Uh, well, the bassoon is, uh, <laughs> it's, it's this very dorky. Like the way I thought about these instruments is like, okay, the bassoon has this double reed and the double reed is similar to a, a square wave. Right, and the way that it vibrates, it, you have these two ooh, double reeds that uh, produce this waveform that's close to a square wave. And so I didn't think of it like, I don't, I don't know the bassoon's range. I don't know, I looked up like bassoon sounds and what they can do, but I knew what kind of, like what uh, electronic comp composition has taught me is like, what kind of texture do I want? What kind of timbre do I want to hone in on? And through these timbres, how do I want to express myself? I guess the, the quality of the sound always comes first and the notation is kind of secondary. Uh, like this whole thing was, it was, a, it was a big graphic score. And like, yeah, it was, it was a challenge. But I think once I had some kind of narrative in mind, it, it came a little bit easier. So if I walk you through the piece, it's centered around these flutes that are made of ceramics. I started doing ceramics, I think in 20... 19? I don't know. I was like, I don't want to compose anymore. I want to be an artist. <laughs> Why not ceramics? <laughs> and I did it at Columbia. And then I, I had this really wonderful professor who like, I, you know, I was like, oh, like, I think I want to stick with this. And it's funny because ceramics has a very similar feel in a way to uh, modular synthesis. It's very much this brain to hand to object kind of uh, like creative process you know like it's live the synthesizer will track your movements because like oh i've moved this modulation source here and that's going to affect something and like you know your thumbprint is really in each one of your electronic patches and like your thumbprint is literally in your clay like you uh, little make a little pinch pot you fire that that's gonna be around for five thousand years and like just this like process of creating felt very similar and very fluid uh, with ceramics. Making this piece, I had uh, all of these like really thin flutes that I had made. 
Um, so one of the things about ceramics is you can have it in three different states. You can have it in what's called bone dry, which is unfired, um, which the flutes were in. So I, they did not go through the kiln. They were very fragile, uh, and water breaks them back down into mud, essentially. And then you can have the next section, which is going through the kiln once, which is called uh, you bisked it, you bisque. Um, and so they're semi-porous, um, but you know, if you tap it, it's not going to break. Um, and then the final stage of it is called uh, vitrification. So you put it in the kiln, it gets vitrified, and then all of the molecules that are in there, uh, clay shrinks when it's fired, uh, get really tight together. And so then it's, uh, it's, it's waterproof. Like, you know, it's, like, it's like the cup you drink out of. And so these flutes were uh, bone dry flutes. I made about, I want to say I made about 30 of those flutes. Oh my God. Yeah, and it was, it was, I think a lot of my work is about labor and process and letting go. I mean, like, like the synthesizer, right? Like you build this monster patch and then, I don't know, at the end of the day, yeah, I unplug it. And this piece was, I made all these flutes. And then Izzy, who was the flute, flute player in this, she broke them. <laughs> and like, that was the point. But, you know, through rehearsals, through like trials, I like, I worked with her pretty closely in like how to construct this flute. Because, you know, first time I made a flute, it was like, uh, like, what is this thing? And she was like, well, you want to carve this? You want to do this? Make the head a little bit heavier. And so like, all of a sudden I was an instrument maker, but it was really this, I, know, I guess, kind of labor of love to uh, make all these flutes and then to have them kind of disappear. Well, was it always intentional that the flute would disappear yeah. at that moment? Yeah. So yeah. A, lot, a lot of work comes from grief. That's, I guess, been my driving process uh, through my work in the past three or four years. And... Uh, you know, you get from grief to like ephemerality and like life cycles. And I thought it'd be really interesting to explore like the life cycles of, uh, you know, ceramics. And so Izzy was playing with them and both like, you know, the pressure of playing these very fragile instruments and the moisture in her breath broke down the flute. I have to say the first time I saw that happen, I was like, you could feel it in the audience, mm. which you don't usually feel at these new music halls. Usually it's kind of like... <laughs> very stale kind of audience that doesn't want to show any emotion right yeah, you know yeah. we're here because we're listening to new music but i have to be honest when that part and i remember we had also masks right we were still wearing masks at mm -hmm. that 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 concert i remember like uh being very emotional personally mm -hmm. when i saw that section where the flute when i started to realize what was going on because it happens gradually in the piece the flute yeah. is disintegrating yeah. and then oh, wondering what's going to happen after you know, this flute's going to be gone at some point, you know, yeah. and the piece is not that long. It's only like 10 minutes, yeah. but the flute was quickly like leaving us, you know, yeah. like evaporating. Yeah. And then when Izzy put it in the water, right, yeah. what happens then? Because there was like, for me, a big emotional turning. Mm -hmm. I can't even explain what it was. I never heard it done that way. And also the form leading up to it, you know, was very effective. Yeah. And it was for this emotional release this idea of grief yeah. and so on so what happens when that uh broken up flute goes into the water what are we here sure. what are we hearing there sure yeah well i guess i guess first i i didn't make the piece to like get this emotional reaction out of everyone it was just like so like this is this is the piece that i'm going to make like this is kind of um, but what happened uh with the flute is okay so we had a little um, tub of water 
And inside the water, we had a hydrophone, which is an underwater microphone. And, you know, clay is, before it's vitrified, is a porous material. And so when it broke, uh, she then took the shards and she put it in that little tub of water. And you could hear the clay breaking back down into a slurry. Um, so all the little air bubbles racing towards the top. Like, I, I heard that sound, like, first time in, in my undergrad. And my professor uh, described it as, like, a thousand demons uh, leaving this little ceramic pot. And uh, it's just like, it's this beautiful organic kind of rainforesty sound of air bubbles coming to the top. And sometimes they're bigger, sometimes they're smaller. They're, it's, and it's the clay breaking down. Um, and like, you know, after, at the end of the show, I had this like jar of water with like a big clump of clay at the bottom. That was basically like a paste. And can you, can you hear that without the hydrophone in the water? If you put your ear close to it, yeah. yeah. But you know, if, if I don't think if you, if you top mic'd it, I don't, you'd hear it like a little bit. It's really that underwater uh, amplification. That yeah. So is it like hearing the, the vibration of the water? Is that what's happening? Like the way like a microphone picks up vibration of the air? Or um, like how, how does How does it... a hydrophone work? Yeah. I think it's kind of, it's kind of like a beefed up contact mic. Okay. Okay. And since sound travels better in water, uh, the sounds are a little bit more clear and a little bit more precise. Yeah, versus a contact mic where you're like touching something yeah, solid you usually. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, you're not getting like the full spectrum of sound that you would get. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, at least for me, I mean, I never heard, again, someone with the, you know, we're getting these advanced degrees. I've never seen, you know, it's very humbling for me because I've never seen that, you know, before. And I've never seen anybody record underwater, you know, and then put yeah. it, and not only that, but put it in a piece that's live yeah. in front of an audience. Not only that, it's combined with other instruments and you have to also balance the sounds and, and, and all of this stuff going on. So what happened then, these, we were kind of talking about this a little bit before, but what happened then, like, how did you, how did you get the, this idea, this conceptual idea? How did you translate it to the players? Because I remember also you telling me, uh, I remember that week because I remember I came into the rehearsals. I was like, you know, I, I kind of felt bad. A little, I have to be honest. Now that's been a while, you know, I could say this. I felt bad because I, I went into the rehearsal and I, I don't even think I showed up to the first rehearsal because everything was in the score, mm -hmm. you know. And then uh, you came out of rehearsal. I remember you were like really stressed out, you know, and, and all this stuff. And you were like asking me for advice on how to, you know, rehearse the band. I said, yeah. I don't know, just, you know just uh you know and on, like for me i just i don't the, the my problem is i i don't uh i don't have good advice because i just sit around and do nothing because mm -hmm. the conductor is doing all the work i'd be like uh-huh that sounds right you know I, that's why i kind of felt bad because for me everything is notated right mm -hmm. so there's not much there's not much question yeah. but for you it was quite the opposite so how did how did the whole rehearsal process go it was uh figuring out how to articulate what i actually wanted <laughs> like i had the score that i didn't send you uh <laughs> that was very uh, it was vague you know it, it was a graphic score um it wasn't necessarily a text-based graphic score it wasn't precise graphic score it was kind of just like it was vibes right or it was it, yeah. not, it, it was it was more than that because there are some colleagues of ours that do graphic scores but like they're basically full sketched scores right. i mean right. like you there is very little interpret wiggle, wiggle room yeah you know yeah but I mean, yours there, wasn't that way it yeah. was it was it was maybe a mix in between like i knew at the beginning i wanted uh, these sounds to be looping. 
And so I like notate it. I'm like, okay, I want the guitar doing this. I want um, the uh, ceramics doing this. Oh, and I also had my, uh, the percussionist was playing ceramic bowls that I made. <laughs> and so it was like kind of like how there was like little tiny notes on what I wanted each player to be doing. Um, but then in practice, it was kind of like, oh, I didn't think it was going to sound like that. And so it was, you know, standing in front of them and kind of being like, hey, this is actually what I'd like you to do. Which is funny because, uh, you know, back to modular synthesis, it's like when I'm playing the synthesizer, it's never, we're going to do this. It's always like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Uh, but it turns out that's not how orchestras usually work or ensembles usually work. No, they usually get annoyed, <laughs> actually, if the composer doesn't know what they want. You they know? may have been a little annoyed. Yeah, it's very, because I was just at an orchestra rehearsal and like literally, conductor turns around, asks me a question. If I don't have an answer in half a second, everyone loses all respect for me, right? But this process was the opposite. You had to get input. Oh, did you get input from the musicians too? Like, yeah. okay, you want this kind of sound, but you don't know exactly how to achieve it. So this is one way to do it. Did you get, did you get to have more back and forth? Yeah. 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 Izzy was really helpful with like yeah. the flute and stuff. And then uh, the bassoon part of the end, uh, Rebecca Heller, who played it, you know, they gave me, they're like, do you want this? And, and I'm like, no, no, no. And they're like, do you want this? And I'm like, Maybe, maybe a little bit more of that. And then they like eventually came up with this tone where I was like, that's it. And yeah, I guess uh, people don't normally work that way with an ensemble. Let's hear, <laughs> let's hear a few seconds, not, not the whole thing, but let's hear, hear a few seconds of what that bassoon part you're talking about is. Those are multiphonics at the end there. Mm -hmm. I wanted it to be stomachy, like heart wrenching, like just like I, it sounds a little corny, but like I wanted it to be pure emotion, you know. Like I, I wanted it, like I wanted you to feel that sound, and I think they did a really wonderful job portraying that. Yeah, well, because now, now that I've been away, because I, I have to be honest with you, because that's what I do on the show, is that when I heard that bassoon thing, you know, I, I was like so taken by the water thing right mm -hmm. and i was fine with the piece ending there <laughs> but then the bassoon came and i was a little confused yeah. to be honest mm -hmm. but now that i've heard your kind of pre-explanation about the idea of grief the idea of the whole process yeah you know i can i can already picture what that part is it's, that's like the full release you know yeah of emotion all at one time yeah. now it makes because i remember mm -hmm. um i don't even think we had program notes or anything at the show or we didn't we didn't talk before each piece yeah but sometimes I think that's helpful, actually, to get context for what you're thinking about. That's just me, though. Some people don't want any of the context. They, sure. they just say that that piece is 
is what it is on its own. That, mm-hmm. But I, I like a little bit of that because then I know a little bit of what to, to listen for. But now it makes sense yeah. why that bassoon, because it's like a long stretch of time. It's a couple of minutes, it's I think, minutes, where the bassoon yeah. is just kind of playing these And there's a lot of silence these in things, there yeah. yeah. And I guess, you know, I'd like, I, have a, I also have a visual arts background. You know, I do a lot of sound installation and, like, and then putting myself back in the, kind of the music box doesn't always make sense. And so I try to you know, bring like that other element to sit in there with you. Like, you know, you've never seen this before in, in, uh, in music or no, I'm babbling. I don't know what I'm saying. No, I mean, I think, I think personally, you know, for me, I learn a lot from somebody like you, you know, because I, I just have one way of writing. I'm just, it's actually kind of narrow minded, you know, and that's part of why I do this show too, because I have different, different kind of people. I learn. I also learned something along with everybody else. So, and it also gives me a chance to like get a good hour or so listening to your stuff. I mean, I already knew this piece, for example, but the other thing, the surge modular piece, I, I didn't hear it. So it was good for me to get kind of like a mini edu I mean, not a full education just from listening, sure, but you sure. know. But like for you, you know, are you finished with the degree yet or you still have a little no, okay, I shouldn't have asked. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> but Columbia like going through going through academia, I mean, do you think that um for people that maybe are interested in doing this kind of work, I mean, do you think that it's something that you kind of have to go through the academic route to learn this stuff? Or can people learn this on their own? Or is it only, because I know you do some stuff too, kind of more in the bandy pop music world as well, not just mm-hmm. like this very academic concert music. Yeah, yeah. Um, does, do, we, do they have to go this route? to kind of learn how to play this stuff no, or no? absolutely not. Yeah. I don't think any of my stuff is really like new music, new music-y kind of, mm-hmm. like I, most of my stuff is rooted in noise. Uh, like you said, you uh, showed this video at about uh, nine minutes when the groove started coming in. Um, the first seven minutes were, it was a feedback loop. So I was playing the circuit that was rerouted back into itself and it was just making these like insane overtones. I mean, I guess uh, equivalent to like overblowing multiphonics, um, but inside of the synthesizer. You're kind of equating it then with, it, you're making it sound like it's it's like new music, not not unlike new oh, music no, but like, in a way. Like, in, I mean, the, the aesthetics that mm, we do, it, sure, you're sure. talking about multiphonics and, sure, but and maybe multiphonics. overtones. Multiphonics took that from, you know, noise music That's a or good point. punk music or, you know, overdriven guitars. Yeah. And uh, like a lot of my stuff is just like industrial, noisy, uh, like wall of sound. Kind of well, stuff. this is the other thing, too, which, uh, again, this is something I don't know. The idea of noise music, you know, talking about making music out of noise because you mm-hmm. talk to your average person. They say mm-hmm. if they don't like something, what is this noise? Noise. Right. right? And I think I have this plaque. I think it's somewhere around here. Where it says, what is noise or something. You, you made this little mm-hmm. plaque that I kind of stole from one of your shows. I was wondering um, where that went. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it said, what is noise or... Noise don't quit. Noise don't quit, yes. Yeah. There's three words. Noise mm-hmm. don't quit, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's funny because, like, um, I, I, had this, I had this video on my, on my main channel talking about one of the reviews I had. Uh, with this orchestra piece and this guy was just went off the rails saying that my piece is just noise beautiful which is right <laughs> but everything actually is just a bunch of harmonies yeah. you know but you're actually working with what the academic version or whatever you want to call it 
of noise is, right? So like when we say noise, what are we actually talking about in terms of in in your context? Yeah, I mean, it it depends on, uh, yeah, like the context of it. Mm -hmm. Like like you said, like noise is usually like, turn off that noise. It's an unwanted feature. Uh, But noise in the context of my music is uh, feedback, oscillation, self-oscillation, positive feedback. It's like a building of sound that uh, it can almost be like a feeling. Uh, It's like this intense amount of uh, sound just being pushed. So you equate it with feeling. You know, it's not, you're not like trying to... It's it's all feeling. You're not like trying to create like, okay, I want the frequency spectrum to look like this. You know, it has nothing to do with that. No, no, no. It's like you want to listen to it and be like, whoa. (laughs) So you want that feeling. Yeah. You want that feeling. It's about tactility. I think that's what I love about electronic music is I can make you know, you boost up the subwoofer or like you play at a venue and they're like, Hey, we got three subwoofers for you. And I'm like, awesome. Let's (laughs) shake the building. (laughs) Like, it's all about, uh, like, I'd love like that tactileness, the physicality of it. I'd love like the high pitch noises or the high pitch, excuse me, high pitch sounds (laughs) where you tune your oscillator all the way up and you hear it like right there in your ear. Like, I think that's, I think that's really beautiful. And it's something that you don't really enjoy on a day-to-day basis. Like if there's a high pitched sound on the subway, I'm like, oh my God, like they got to fix the MTA. But (laughs) in this context, I'm like, yeah, like let's see if we can go higher. Like, can I move the sound from feeling to here to like feeling to the back of my head? Or how can I shift this sound so I feel it, you know, your body resonates. And so it's an exploration of like, finding different points i think throughout your own body so uh, i mean what i'm taking from this is that there is a distinct difference then that you're trying to do between like hearing a high i don't know construction noise let's say Mm -hmm. outside your apartment Mm -hmm. versus you actually trying to reproduce sounds that might sound like that but you're trying to achieve a different result right between those two things because like somebody going by let's say no one knows anything about what you do they go to the concert they say what's the difference between this and you know, uh, the construction jackhammer outside my, my, my apartment. This is, this is the answer you would, you would hopefully try to, and I guess your performance is, is, is more of an argument than anything else or, or a thesis Mm -hmm. for what you're trying to do. Like, it's almost like you're convincing, uh, somebody else or is that, or do you even care, you know, about I make it for me. Yeah. I make it cause I like it. I like it cause I feel it. Um, I had, uh, cause that's how I feel personally yeah. with my stuff. Yeah. I feel like I like, like with me, it's microtonality that, that, that would be the noise factor. Yeah. It's like, how do I convince somebody that this is something you want to hear, yeah. you know, or we want to feel, yeah. for example. And I, I just wonder the same It's world with you. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's what synthesis is. That's what my music is. It's like these tiny little ecologies where I can be like, Ooh, it's like, let's put a building here. Let's make this like, here's our little pond. And it's like this whole system that you can kind of just like live in. Wow. Well, I don't think I can say it any better than that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's end it here. Thank you. Appreciate yeah, thank this. Thank you for having me. Of course.